Well, we're super excited to have Ken Williams with it. Ken, why don't you go and come on and get, get set up, because I know you've got to plug your stuff in. But um, if you were here Tuesday night, um, anybody was here Tuesday night, man, that was just so powerful. If you got to listen to it, I encourage you to go back and listen to it as he talked to our parents about this issue, LGBT, uh, sexual purity, sexual identity. Um, we've been talking about this. You know, it's like, well, you, you can talk about that in church. And we were saying, well, we talk about it everywhere else. Might as well bring it in here and start talking about what God's Word says about it. Really? That's, that's all we got there? <laughs> Amen? Everybody's like, yes, yes, I think that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, we need to be talking about what God's Word says on, on this issue. And so, man, it was so powerful on Tuesday night. And I just came away, Ken, what, what I just want to say, thank you was just deep love for those struggling with this issue. And, mm. I, and I'm not saying I didn't have it before, but I had a new sure. level of compassion awesome. for those who are struggling with this issue. And I just thought, man, that's... He gave some really practical advice for parents and how to talk to people who are struggling. And um, and then we're going to get to hear his story this morning. So, But I just want to pray for this, that, that God would open up our hearts mm-hmm. to receive. Lord, we just pray. Mm-hmm. I pray for Ken. I thank you for his ministry, the change movement. And, Lord, I pray today, Lord, that there would be those that are going to be set free, Lord, those that um, have their hearts opened. Lord, I pray we understand what your word says. And, Lord, even sometimes we don't agree, Lord, we, we recognize that's what your word says, and we stand on that. And, Lord, I pray the anointing of God upon Ken as he brings the word today. Open our hearts and our minds to receive what you have to say for us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, Ken, thank you. Let's thank take you. it away. Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you. How many of you were able to be here on Tuesday night? Okay, awesome. Several of you. Well, it's an honor to be here. I, I am a Texan. I'm just. Gonna, I'm from Cal. I'm coming to you from California, but I'm one of you. Okay. So, <laughs> I grew up. I grew up in this area, like North Dallas. Um, for about half my life, I've lived uh, in California. About half my life in the Dallas area. So, it's always good to be back here. My wife and kids are bummed to not be able to be here with us. We had already booked a, a trip here just to come see family. And then uh, Jeff got in touch with me and said, hey, could you could you speak? And so we changed my plane ticket, but we didn't change six plane tickets, as you can, as you can imagine. Uh, so my wife um, is wrangling for children through, you know, through the air right now on our way back to California. So uh, anyway, she would have loved to be here next time. So um, and I just want to point out, this is my uh, my in-laws, Gary and Linda Hoyer. This is their church. So, and my mom is here as well, Judy Williams. She lives over in West Dallas Fort Worth area. So, so anyway, it's great to be here. Um, so I'm just going to share with you. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit about kind of what what our ministry looks like to let you know where where I come from and what what work we're up to and what resources we have to offer you. Um, and then I'm just going to tell you kind of my testimony and then give you a few, leave you with a few thoughts about what, what should we think, what, or, you know, what's, the insi- what's inside the mind on LGBTQ nowadays? What, what is God's perspective on this? What does it feel like? That kind of a thing. And go from there. So that's kind of my plans for this morning. Um, yeah, there we go. So um, I, the way that our ministry started... Um, was 2017 or so, I actually 
started meeting with this friend of mine, my ministry partner, Elizabeth, wanting to see her, the female in the green there in the back of that room. Um, we had get, gotten together and started just talking about, okay, how can we help the church understand how to navigate LGBTQ issues successfully in a, in a life-giving, God-honoring way? Because both of us have come out of an LGBT background. And uh, we started meeting weekly for coffee and talked for a couple of hours and put some materials together. And then in early 2018, all of a sudden California started trying to pass a law that would have made ministries like ours illegal. Um, it was going to consider any suggestion that a person could leave behind an LGBTQ life to be consumer fraud. So if anybody was paying a counselor or if they were buying a book or if they were, uh, you know, paying for some kind of a Christian conference that was talking about sexual matters and there was any assertion that one could leave that life behind, then that would have been consumer fraud and therefore illegal. So that would have really put a damper on our ministry and so many ministries. I mean, I was, I'll get into my story in a minute, but I was 17 when I was suicidal over my sexual identity. And my psychologist kept me alive. I don't think I would be here if the law, laws that are in place in different states across the United States would have been in place at that time. And so next thing you know, I end up being one of the two people testifying in opposition of that bill in the California Capitol, and Elizabeth was the other one. Um, <clears throat> so all of a sudden, our lives changed dramatically. We already... We're wondering if we were partly insane that we were even trying to go after this kind of ministry, as you might imagine, uh, because it is so sensitive, right? I mean, this is, this is people's identities. This is people's, the only thing they've ever experienced in some cases. And, 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 uh, you know, please understand my heart this morning. I understand that when we talk about LGBTQ, we don't have permission to do it flippantly, you know. Um, we're, there's a real pain, which I'll talk about today, behind, behind that. And so here we are, though, um, sitting in legislative hearings one after another, testifying, and realize that um, these people don't believe us. Um, you know, in, in California, certainly um, most of the people that were Congress people in that hearing room did not share the same worldview that I do. And so they were looking at me as if they wanted to delete me and... Um, here I am, I have two minutes to share my perspective. And um, that led from one hearing to another. The bill, uh, I realized, they don't believe us. We need to let them know that we're not, I'm not the only story like this. Elizabeth isn't the only former lesbian. There's a, we know a bunch of people that have stories like ours. And so we put together in record time, miraculously, a book. There's, it's out there at the book table if anybody actually wants one. But we put up together this book, color photos and everything, before and after photos, and a bunch of our friends' stories, like 37 stories. Now there's like 50-something in the book. And we, we then gathered weeks later, brought the book with us. 30 of our friends showed up with us. We made some shirts that said changed on the front so we could let people know what we believe, that you're saying that you can't change. We, we're saying we did change. And, uh, and we stood on the Capitol steps and we spoke for two and a half hours, just test five-minute testimony after five-minute testimony. Fox News covered it in, in California, and then it went viral on social media. 
And so the bill that was designed to kind of squelch stories like, like mine, God bless them, um, actually catalyzed a movement. Um, so all, there's, there's thousands of us <clears throat> around the world and growing that now are traveling along together in a private Facebook group um, and just encouraging each other in our purity journeys and in our journeys to, to find more deeply who we are and who we are in Christ. And so that's what happened. And at the 11th, it passed every committee with flying colors. There was no real resistance to the bill as far as the votes that Congress people were, were, were giving. Um, the governor committed to sign it. And on the morning that the governor was going to sign it at 9 a.m., I got a phone call from my now new friend, a senator in California, saying, um, well, you got what you prayed for and what you fought for, um, the gay sponsor of the bill himself withdrew the bill this morning at 7 a.m. It's not going to pass. Amazing. And so, next thing you know, Change the Movement has a ministry arm equipping churches and ministering to individuals, and we also then are, have, have political advocacy that we're doing simply because if we don't, we can't continue to minister and hold open doors to the gospel for this people group. Um, so that's kind of where we come from. Here's, we, we do gatherings all around uh, the world, really. Um, here's a, a group of us uh, that's on the mall in Washington, D.C. We're facing the Washington Monument right there. Um, we, we still go a couple of times a year at least to Washington, D.C. and groups of us and meet with Congress people. We're involved in speaking into what legislation is written federally in different state legislatures, things like that. It just it, it has continued to grow. Um, and then this is us, our team. My team is the front row sitting down there. The guy in the white shirt is, is uh, spearheading this. But Cal- uh, Oregon is trying to pass a, a bill just like that one that they tried to pass in 2018 in California. And our team drove up from Reading, seven-hour drive, and six or eight of us went up there and then testified against that bill. And um, it's looking very good. It looks like there's a chance that that bill may be defeated as well. We'll see. So that's kind of a quick you know, uh, introduction to kind of who we are and what we do. Um, if anybody was like, oh, how do I get to be a part of that Facebook that that private Facebook group of people that are journeying along. If you're a, if, if, if that's your story, you know, yourself, it's like, oh, I'm on a journey of trying to find identity in Christ as opposed to some label, um, then you can go and request to, to join that. Or if you're a mom or a dad or a, uh, a pastor or a counselor or something like that, you have a heart to actually help uh, people that are searching for sexual identity. Um, you're welcome to, to request to join that as well. We do have to be careful about who we let in. Um, I won't go into all that. But anyway, if you'll, so put on there, you know, I, I heard Ken speak at Resonate Life when, you're, when we're asking a few questions, if you'd like to do that. Um, we do have quite a few, there's a resource table out at the back that'll be there uh, for a little bit after the service is over. But that Thrive there that you can see, that is our, uh, a bunch of free, it's like 14 different free videos by topic on LGBT issues where we, you know, if you're needing more than what you hear this morning or what you heard Tuesday night, there's a lot there for you um, that could help you understand things. Um, you can read the stories that are in that book and a whole bunch more testimonies on our website. We have a love and culture blog you can subscribe to. 
Um, we have a newsletter. Please sign up for our newsletter down at the bottom of the changemovement.com page. We'd love for you to be able to track along with us and keep you up to speed on what's happening, sharing testimonies, letting you know what's happening in the legislative realm, and just you know uh, how, how we minister to people effectively, all those kinds of things. Uh, or if you just are needing support, it's like, I, I have a, a loved one, or I, I myself need some help. Um, we have a, a request support link on there as well. So those are there for you. Um, is it anybody's birthday this week? You right, Mother? Would you like to have this book? Come on down. You can you can have it. Um, a couple of years ago, I um, I wrote this book. It's my story. It's also eleven or fourteen. I forget which of my friends' testimonies, and it's the discipleship model that the that the Lord downloaded to me after he walked me through a 15 or 20 year journey. Um, I was like, Lord, how do I help other people? And one day in the shower, I got this download of just these key words. And I was like, oh, the answer to my prayer just came in the shower. And, and so it's a whole discipleship model. And I also have like question and answer and stuff in the back, like for parents and pastors and things like that. So you're welcome. Um, so I want you to know about that. If you know of anybody who it's like this, well... Let me retract that. Um, if you need help yourself, it's like I'm trying to navigate my way free from LGBT. Um, that's what I put together. This is a 330-page guidebook with 50 videos. So, you know, prayer times with people. I do a video. It's like, you know, lead people through repentance and forgiving others and the whole thing with activations, activities to recommend for you to grasp the content rather than just head knowledge like, how does Jesus get into my heart with this information? What are questions I need to ask myself? Are there things I need to let go of? All that kind of stuff. So if you know anybody, that's what, that's what this product is for. Um, okay, so before I jump into my, my testimony, you know, the, the, the transgender topic is just getting to be so much more common, right, than probably, probably five years ago, very few of us even had heard of anyone who identified as as trans, you know, a man identifying as a, a woman or vice versa. And then all of a sudden, I bet you a lot of people in this room, just in a few years' time, know someone. And that's a real... Um, when, that, when we see that in, in a person, that's a person that needs extra, extra sensitive care, kindness, you know, seeking to understand what's going on inside, not in a way of prying, but in serving them. And so, um, so I want to just touch on that real quick. This is my friend, Kathy Grace Duncan. She's our director of gender advocacy. And that's the same person there. <laughs> that's, that's only one person you're looking at in both photos. Um, born female, but her father was um, a tyrant, and she saw how her mother was disrespected and worse. And she realized that she wasn't safe being a female, and neither was her mother safe being a female. That the only people that seemed to be safe were men. And she reasoned as a five-year-old that she would be the man that her father could not be. So this was not rebellion. This was not, 
I think I'd like to be different than everyone else. This wasn't, I'm trying to get attention. This was the only reasonable thing that she could imagine in her five-year-old mind for how to move forward with her life. And that's real common. That's real common. Uh, When you see a trans situation, it's common that it's actually pretty logical how people found themselves headed in a a direction that you can't imagine going in. And uh, so she lived as 11 years. Um, You know, she was on testosterone. um, And uh, so you wouldn't have known that you were looking at a female. Um, So looking like this, Kathy Grace was leading men's Bible studies in her church. She got saved just after she transitioned into living as a man. And uh, But it took a while before she started to experience the conviction of the Lord on that sexual area of her life. Uh, and the, the Holy Spirit met, met her very dramatically. The first church that she was in that discovered that, oh, actually you're a female, kicked her out and said, um, you know, we love you, but you can't come here anymore. The second church, she did darken the doors of a church some years later, And that church, when they learned, oh, you're actually a female, her dad outed her there. Um, When they learned that, um, they said, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, this is the the senior pastor talking, says, yeah, we don't know what to do with you. We don't know what we're going to do with you. We've never walked with anybody like this, but we know what, we're going to walk with you. And so... She continued to be welcome at, at their church. And in that, in that interaction with the pastor, the Holy Spirit spoke to her and said, I have something different for you. And he invited her to start not living as a man anymore and go back to living as a female. But when you've been on hormones for 11 years, you can't do that overnight. You can't look like a female the next day. Your body doesn't, I mean, yeah, short of an absolute miracle, your body still has testosterone flowing through it enough that she had a full beard and a receding hairline. And so it took months or sometimes it can take people years to where it actually makes sense and can be done that they publicly transition back. And those are called detransitioners, and there's a flood of them emerging right now and many more coming so I just had to let you see a glimpse into that testimony as well. Kathy Grace has now lived as a female, like, like you know, she's uh, just turned 60 recently. So I bet you that photo was closer to when she was 35, something like that on the right. But um, a precious, precious woman of God knows the Holy Spirit better than just about anybody you know. Um, it's just it has a wonderful heart. And uh, so she's been out of that life, living as a woman for 30 years, and she now leads women's ministry um, <laughs> in, in the group that she's a part of. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. So I will uh, take this next bit of time and just kind of let you hear some of my story. Um, I uh, was raised in church, as I said, I got saved at Prestonwood Baptist Church over across the way. My mom and I and my sister and my dad were four of the charter members. There were 40 people that were there that first Sunday, uh, you know, 40, 45 years ago, something like that. And we were four of those 40 people. And, um, and so I, I, I had a heart for Jesus. I mean, at eight years old, I gave Jesus my life and I understood 
that my sins separated me from him and that Jesus made a way for that to not be a problem anymore, for all of my sins to be just like was so beautiful earlier. He doesn't even remember my sins anymore. And I wept over that as an eight-year-old, that Jesus would do that for me. And some other things were happening, though, at that time in my life at eight years old. I always had been mocked as a as a boy because I was skinny, scrawny. I wish I were skinnier now. <laughs> that Leave that as it is. Um, I'm just a skinny, scrawny, weak boy. And, you know, that was not what I wanted. Um, it, it brought all kinds of ridicule, you know, and mockery and all that. And, uh, and so I just didn't like trying to keep up with the boys. It was too, it was too much work. And I failed, it felt like, every time. It says something to you when, when you know, you're in gym class at school and every single time they're picking teams, you know, you are always picked last. Even maybe after some of the girls were picked, you're picked. That says something to you. And that was really painful. And so eventually it's like, I just didn't like men. I didn't like males anymore. I mean, and honestly, kind of, why would I have? You know what I mean? Like... It was just really hard and oppressive and rude and, and things like that. You know, things happened to me and it, it didn't happen to me from the girls. You know, I mean, just, this is just simple math. You know, it was just the girls were easy to talk to. The guys weren't. And so that was going on and was kind of wounding me emotionally. Um, then, I was exposed to pornography and then hardcore gay pornography um, as about an eight or nine-year-old. And we were, I mean, we were playing in a field just innocently, this group of boys, and somebody opened up a boot box and things I saw in there, I hope you have no idea, I won't describe it, but it's not what you would imagine would, you would see. Um, it's much worse than that. It's much more violent. It's much more degrading, dehumanizing. It's not what you would imagine. And so I lost even more respect for males that way because I couldn't understand why would a person treat another person that way. It was dehumanizing. So why a woman would not do that. And so, again, another X across masculinity in my mind. And by the time I got to be an early teen, I, I was having a, a pretty long list, I think, in my mind of reasons why male was not good and female was better. Now, that didn't make me sexually attracted to females. That made me more identify with females. Now, it didn't make me want to become a female. That never entered my mind, although, like in a Kathy Grace example, that did enter her mind. But what happened for me was I just remember, I remember deciding as maybe an 11, 12-year-old person, I was just going to be neutral I was just going to be a person because I didn't want to, I didn't want to be a girl, but I didn't know how to be a guy. So I'm just going to be a person. Well, contrary to what pop culture tells you, there aren't any of those. Um, If you have a pulse, you are, you are either male or you're female. And so I was just kind of never, I never really fit. I didn't have a place where I belonged and I, people got me and, you know, that kind of thing. And so there were also, so the, another thing that happened was as, 
As a result, and this happens a lot, kids see something played out on the pages or on, you know, on the phone or whatever, and then it plants the idea in their minds, and then they go try to act it out. Well, that's what happened to the kids, the other boys. And so they pulled me into some fairly minor uh, inappropriate touching and stuff like that. But it, I mean, that just wounded me. It damaged my conscience because I had no intention of ever crossing any lines or, 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 or act behaving in any way that would offend Jesus. And I was very clear on what the Bible said about, you know, a lot of things, but even about sexual purity and stuff like that. And so the idea that, oh my gosh, somehow I've crossed a couple of lines and even weird lines. I mean, this, this was the 1970s and early 80s what I'm talking about. So I just was, I mean, I just could never let another person know. I mean, nobody in my churches that I grew up in talked about sex. Nobody talked about, they certainly didn't talk about homosexuality unless they were talking about the people that should, should be deleted from the planet. I'd only ever heard homosexuality talked about in a church setting in the light of there is no redemption. It, you merely should not exist. Yeah. And so when you find yourself with some aberrant desires versus the, what, what you think you're supposed to have, why are you going to mention that to another person? What would be the point? <laughs> Add to that, most of the churches that I was in, we moved around and stuff, so it wasn't, there was quite a few churches I grew up in. We didn't understand that Jesus was present to heal. That wasn't in our theology. The gifts of the Spirit weren't in our theology. So we were all supposed to just be doing the best we could to be honoring of God until we got to heaven, and then he might, then all of our needs have been addressed. That was our theology. So you find somebody that has that going on in their minds like I did, there isn't any logical reason to go and tell someone what you're dealing with. So it was a lonely place. It was a very lonely place. And, um, and this is, I had parents that loved me. So, you know, I, I knew they, they loved me and cared for me and, and all of that. And, and I even knew, I mean, they'd forgiven me for things before, but this was a big deal. This was a lot. And so by the time I'm in my teens, now I'm just struggling a lot. You know, I'm sexually attracted. I'm not sexually attracted to the girls at all. I'm only sexually attracted to the boys. And so the shame of that, once I really, once that really kind of came up in front of me and I realized, wow, I am not like, I knew I never fit with the other boys, but I am not like the other boys. And, um, you know, and I would have done anything to change my sexual desires. I'd have done anything, but, but what would that be? You know, nobody ever, I hadn't heard a single testimony of anyone that had ever left an LGBT life behind, not one. And so when I was uh, 15 or 16 and, and, real, and I, I watched this movie, I was babysitting this kid one night, this movie comes on the TV and it's the story of a kid like a year or two older than me. And I watched my life play out on the screen. He he has realized that he's gay, and he tells his family, tells the psychiatrist, all this. It all just, there's no hope. 
to, uh, for any change. Everyone just has to get happy with that. And so, and, and I was just panic stricken because I didn't want to live that kind of life. There was nothing in me that wanted to have sex with a male. There was nothing in me that wanted to live that lifestyle. That's just the only people I was sexually attracted to. I don't know if you can, I don't know if that makes sense. And I wanted, you know, my deepest desire was to be pleasing to Jesus. So a real quandary. And then um, in my teens, this, so my flavor of homosexuality was codependency. And that's very common. It's not the only story, but it's very, very common, particularly among men, I find. So what I was doing is I had pushed masculinity away and... In doing so, can you see that I pushed me away? Because after all, I actually am male. It's not how you, you know, our, our sexuality is not, our, our sexual identity is either male or female at the deepest level. I either am a man or I'm a woman. So if I have pushed masculinity away, who is this? Does that make sense? We kind of live our whole lives through a lens of whether we are male or female. I don't know how much you've thought about that. But I mean, right down to which restroom am I going to walk into? You know what I mean? Very practical things. Who am I going to hang out with after the service? Am I going to go into this clump of people over here? Or am I going to go into that clump of people and have a conversation there? All of those things are informed by whether I'm a male or female. And so all kinds of, of uh, rubs there, you know, and confusion. So... Uh, this, I could take you through my school photographs from first grade all the way into college, and I can tell you which boy in my class that I was codependent on. So whichever was the most successful, most self-confident, and kind, so they need to be strong and kind, whoever that was is who I latched onto. And I was trying to find my identity through association with them. And I would, I would live many moments of the day imagining what he would think if he saw me just do whatever I just did. Would he be proud of me? Would he, would, he, would he be impressed with me? I was constantly seeking that affirmation. And then at certain seasons of my growing up, um, you know, this guy would be into it or not. So, you know, the way codependency, without going deep into it, codependency, you know, it's, it's, it's interwoven. It's like both party parties are getting something out of it and also are being taken from at the same time. And so, you know, I, I would lavish a whole bunch of praise on whoever this guy was. And then if that, if, if he was wired to where, oh, I, he needed more affirmation. Okay. Then he would be, he would, he would sidle up next to me. And so it wasn't a sexual thing. It was an emotional uh, enmeshment. And this would go on until something would happen and, you know, I moved away, he moved away, I got too clingy, whatever, and he took off. Um, but one of those happened in my teen years, and he turned it somewhat sexual, just spending the night together, never expecting anything like that to happen. I wasn't headed there, but I was attracted to him. And so the shame and the guilt from that just pushed me over the... I mean, I was so, so guilt-ridden. A family move separated separated that relationship, and I, while I was so relieved 
because now I'm not going to be pulled into a temptation that is something I'm having trouble refusing. But my identity, where, who am I now? Because I knew who I was through him. And so uh, in, at some season after that, I was just suicidal over the whole thing. I, I didn't want to end my life. I just didn't want to live anymore. It was too hard. And so I snuck into the Christian bookstore with the disguise on. Because if anybody saw me looking for that type of material in 1989, you can forget it. I mean, you can just forget it. <clears throat> and so I didn't find a single resource that offered me any hope. The only resource I, I found was kind of a, you know, a, a large reference that uh, all the things that a person could be challenged with. And it, there was a, a half a page or a page on homosexuality, and it said, um, if this is you, then you will always struggle um, you'll never, it, your desires won't ever change, but if you will see a counselor every week for the rest of your life, it actually, it actually said these things, then you can refrain from acting this out and be honoring in your life to the Lord, and it'll probably cost about a quarter of a million dollars. It actually, it actually said that. And I thought, I make three thirty-five an hour right now at Mark's Feed Store Barbecue Restaurant. So, I don't know where I'm going to come up with a quarter mil, you know, for my personal growth. But um, that was that was daunting. That was daunting. Um, so my first moment of being suicidal was when I was leaving the Christian bookstore. Is that a sad state of affairs or what? Um, but so out of my pain and anger, I was mad at the world, as you can imagine, and all in addition to everything else. So I wrote out nine pages of my pain just kind of vomited nine pages of my anger and the re- how here's how I really feel and all that and and here's what struggle I have and skipped school the next day and handed those nine pages to my youth pastor <laughs> as he was driving through the drive through <laughs> and um <laughs> I just remember him going <laughs> you know um and he didn't know what to tell me you know but he didn't kick me out and he didn't say anything mean, and he didn't, you know, he said, hey, you know, that's not, that's not who you are. I was like, well, great. I'm all better, you know. Thank you. You know, pay for your total, and we'll get the fries, and we're all good now. Um, I mean, that was the right thing to say and the wrong thing to say, you know. Um, and so, but he said, well, we're going to tell your parents. And, you know, of course, that's pretty threatening, even if you have awesome parents, because, again, this is 1989, this is not something people talk about. We know it's sin, all that stuff. But my mom and dad cried with me for two hours that night as I just told them, here's what's really going on. And um, they got me to see a Christian counselor who I saw weekly for five years, Christian psychologist. And he kept me alive. And, and they, you know, it's amazing. They changed, their, they changed their lives. My mom and dad changed their lives to accommodate what I was going through. It was a very, very beautiful, noble thing. The humility entered our house in a way, in a much deeper level, vulnerability, authenticity. I mean, they let me know that I wasn't the only one struggling with something, you know. And they found ways to connect with my heart that, that hadn't happened before. You know, they didn't, this, the counselor gave counsel on different ways that I could bond more deeply with my dad and, and all these things. And they just leaned into every bit of it. And it made a difference, you know. It, it gave me hope, you know. And um, 
you know, I went off, off to college then and went through a nine-month program on sexual brokenness. And, and uh, so the five years of Christian counseling and, all, and that program, and I didn't experience any shift at all in my sexual desires. But at least I didn't believe that God hated me. I believed that God had grace for me. I believed that he loved me even though I wasn't where I wanted to be and even though I had these feelings and all that. And, um, but what, but, um, I finally got to the place to where I just, uh, was going to <clears throat> make myself happy. <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever done that before. Usually isn't a good plan, but somewhere in college I thought, well, I'm just going to all, I'll drink. I didn't had never had alcohol or anything, uh, prior to college. And so I started drinking and it would make me feel a little bit better. Some of the cares would go away for a short period. And so this one night, I just got trashed drunk. Five beers in 20 minutes, passed out. Um, woke up the next day, and my stomach is just torn up. Well, that illness doesn't go away for five years. I'm just, I have all this whole stomach condition now. And um, so after college then, this friend of mine reconnects with me that I hadn't talked to in, in quite some time. And he had gotten just on fire with the Lord, and he'd become a youth pastor. And he's like, how you doing? And I'm like, you know that, that stomach condition I had in college, it's worse. I was 114 pounds. You could see the veins in my face. I was very sick. I could eat almost no food. Like, I was allergic to every food you can think of except for pork and asparagus and buffalo. I was allergic to everything else. So I was very sick. And he said, well, Ken... God doesn't want you to be sick. And I said, what? You know, um, everything that happens is God's will. He said, no, (laughs) Um, no, Um, I can look at pornography right now, and that's not God's will. He's like, we have choices. And, you know, I mean, we also enforce God's will on the earth, or we don't, you know. And so not everything that happens is God's will. I mean, look at all the places in Scripture that a disciple or Jesus or one of the 12 or one of the 70 or all these different Bible characters intervened with God's way and, and got rid of the enemy's plan. You know, I was like, I mean, I had ne- I've been in church my whole life. I had never heard anything like that. The authority of the believer, right? We're not God, but we do have him inside of us. <laughs> And so he said, well, let's get together. I'm going to pray for you. And I was like, let's, let's all try anything, you know. And so three weeks later, we met up um, at my parents' house, and he, he drove in, and he laid hands on me and prayed for me, and y'all fireworks went off. I mean, I had a knockdown drag out inside my body. I felt juices squirting around. I felt things moving. It was crazy, and I passed gas for five hours. <laughs> So, there it is. If you wonder what the Lord thinks of the enemy, there it is. Um, And the pain was gone. First time in five years, I have no pain. And so I have now a life back. I gained 20 pounds in a month. I mean, I could eat anything I wanted to. My allergies were gone. I had a new lease on life, but I could not miss the, the, the obvious conclusion that God is God, I knew that, but he's good. I didn't know that. 
in church my whole life, did not know that God was good. Like he actually, what mattered to me mattered to him. That he cared about how I feel. No clue about that. But now I did because, remember, the way I got the stomach problem was by direct choice for clear sin. And Jesus stepped over my sin. I hadn't repented yet of that. I hadn't asked for forgiveness. I didn't know how to do that. He stepped over my sin and said, I'm healing you, even though you're culpable. (laughs) And that goodness fried my circuits. I could. I didn't have a file folder for that. I didn't know what to make of that. I just. Uh, my only deduction was, oh my gosh, he's good. He's real good, way better than me or anybody I know. He's good, and I thought, well, I'm going. If he says that homosexuality is sin, and he does, then he must have a solution for it because he's not diabol. He's actually good. He's not diabolical. You don't tell somebody, go do this, if they have no ability to do that, right? And I'm not, don't, you didn't just hear me say, well, this is just a choice. You don't have to be gay. That's crazy talk. <laughs> no, that's ignorant talk, if I can just be real direct with you. you. You merely, if that's your opinion of why a person shouldn't live an LGBT life, you just don't have enough information. <clears throat> we don't mind over matter our sexual desires. You find yourself with your sexual desires, right? Did you choose yours? You know, did you say, oh, I think I'll choose that? No, it's like we find ourselves with that. And that's a whole other topic. Um, so some, uh, so it sent me on this pilgrimage to find out what does following Jesus offer me? And it sounds real selfish, But he was okay with that for a season. He was okay with my trying to find a a way forward successfully, (laughs) you know, like building a relationship with him. But it was so cool. He stacked the deck. The only thing that would actually bring transformation was if I wasn't focused on everything I was wanting and if I just focused on him. (laughs) That's really what brought transformation in my life. It wasn't, I mean, just go... That's why you see all the memes and social, on social media and, and any news report or whatever about, well, you know, this person prayed a thousand times for your sexual desires to change and nothing ever changed, and so God's not in that business. Well, God doesn't answer that prayer. I, I don't know why. Well, I have an inkling. Um, he's way more interested. He, he goes way deeper than that. But if you aren't in a company of people who knows that, or if, if you don't have any inner healing modality in your church, or any deliverance ministry, or any council that understands how to get beneath sexual identity issues and find out what really, where the wounds are in there, then what else are you going to do except for just pray, Jesus, please change the way I feel? There were reasons that I felt the way that I felt. There were practical wounds, reasons, points of rejection, judgments I had made against masculinity, judgments I had made against femininity, judgments I had made about God's design for sex. All of those needed to be addressed. And he disciples us. And so he discipled me through that journey, and he invited me to repent of a whole bunch of things. He invited me to forgive the kids on the playground and by name, all the individual ones, all those boys and men who had hurt me and decide, am I going to be 
Yeah. Are they forgivable? <laughs> you know? Or am I going to hold on to that offense forever? When after all, they were nine when they made that mistake with me. <laughs> and half the things I thought I was being rejected for was probably in my imagination. Probably didn't even actually happen. But he walked me through this whole discipleship journey, day after day, year after year. It led me to uh, Bethel Church in, in uh, Redding, California, uh, to go to their school of ministry. I did that for three years. And I mean, I just encountered God day after day. And I learned what he said, and I learned the lies that I had been believing in the name of being a Christian. Some of them. I learned how the way God thought and the way I thought were different in a lot of ways. And I need, I was the one that needed to to change, not him, you know? And I learned that he was the best father on the planet and that I could trust him and I could, that he would, he would care for me if I would give him everything. I remember the, the, uh, prayer ministry that this mentor of mine who came into my life that time, and he'd been delivered from homosexuality and, and uh, was married to his wife, and they had several kids, and, and he was, that's what he was doing with his life, was ministering to people like me. And he, I'm, I'm praying after him, and repeat after me, you know this prayer, and I'm doing great, you know, confessing this, and asking God for this, and all that, and then it came to the part where it said, okay, so I, he said, now just say, I give up all my rights to ever be gratified by a man sexually again. And I said, I... And there was a disturbance in the force, you know. I was like, if I pray that, I'm very sad to say that I don't mean that. Because I was really wanting God to just change everything for me, but I didn't want to have to give anything up. And, I mean, it's easy for me to look back and criticize myself in that moment. and Like, how, how dumb was that? But that was the only sexual fulfillment of any measure or kind I had ever had was attracted, was, was attached to a male. I had none, there was nothing there for female. So when you're giving this up, it does cause someone to pause and think about what that means. At least it did me. And I realized, you mean I have spent tens of thousands of dollars of my parents' money I have gone through two nine-month programs. I've read dozens of books. I have fasted and prayed and cried and blah, blah, blah. All this time, for all these years, and I'm not willing to give this up? So he said, what's wrong? And I said, I need the weekend (laughs) to think about this. And he said, you are so messed up. And I said, I know, I know. And he said, well, if you want to be in bondage for the rest of the weekend, that's fine. (laughs) Like a true parent, you know, can say. Um, He was like a spiritual dad at that point. And um, I said, if I prayed it right now, I obviously wouldn't mean it. So I, I need to think about this. So I came back the next week, prayed, and it was a giant breakthrough for me. And I had a lot of other giant breakthroughs like that. It was a journey. It was a, a, I know two people that received prayer or were in a worship service and boom, they don't deal with same sex attraction anymore. It just, God just took it. But I know dozens, maybe hundreds that it has been more of a discipleship process. It's been, 
It's been a, a journey with more and more freedom as we go. And um, that's the path that the Lord led me on. And, you know, I've been married to my wife for, here's, here's Tiffany. Um, this one we were engaged. Um, we've been married for 16 and a half years. And then this is the little people we created here. We had, twin, we had four children in less than four years. Do not do that. I mean, use your brain, people. Um, but anyway, we did survive that so far. And um, I'm living just an amazing, an amazing life. I mean, God completely... I mean, I was very, very addicted to pornography at points. Just unable to break free. And this is after I've met the Holy Spirit in a I'm present to heal kind of way. It took me a, a, several years to walk out of that. But I don't deal with that anymore. It, it is... The things that God has set me free from are incredible. Incredible. But he, what he did is he gave me... So I had sexualized love... That, I was invited into that through the porn, through the touching from the other, right? The enemy invited me into that without my even knowing what was happening. And it, it, it lodged in there and became a way to feel better or to feel bonded or to feel, or feel all the good feels with all that goes along with that. And that's hard to resist. And that's why pornography is rampant today in and out of the church. But the Lord does offer better things. And they're not subpar. They're not ineffective. They're very effective. They are what our souls cry out for. And what I had to do was get reorientated to what I needed, really. What, how God designed me. What, I mean, like, we, here we are, just culture is just sending people, just clapping for people to go down an LGBT identity path because you go get yours and you be who you are. Yes, but they don't know who they are. And maybe you don't either. A lot of people don't know who they are today. There is an absolute identity crisis, which I'm so glad that you guys are going after identity and family and all that this year because... This is where we are in society, is we have, you know, a large percentage of the population having no idea who they are or what that means. But the Lord does. He has designed us very intentionally. He knows specifically who we are. He has specific plans for us, and they align with how he created us. And it is the path to the greatest fulfillment in life. I'm not going to be able to find a more fulfilling path for myself than the one that he offers me. That's a big lie out there that I can find something better out there. It doesn't work out well. The enemy always takes you farther than you want to go and keeps you longer than you want to stay. And you end up with all of the bad stuff that goes with trying to create our own ways, right? I know. I mean, I'm watching the Lord. The Lord is on the move right now among this community. The Lord is, you watch, he is going to be grabbing people who think that they finally were able to find who they were 
in a community of people who say, do whatever you want, do whatever you want, sure, whatever, you think you're this, great, go. And he's plucking those people out of there and turning them into revivalist Christians. It's, it's already starting. I know a bunch of these people. I mean, he who suffers much loves much, you know? And, and so pray, please, pray for, for this people group. There is pain and woundedness underneath the struggle. Genetically, scientifically, the very top science will tell you no one is born with a gay gene. That's, that is fraudulent science. If you've heard science that said that, it's fraud. The, the credible, largest, peer-reviewed, gold standard studies make it clear it, this is not genetic. It's environmental factors. And if I bring it into church terms, it's not what happens to us. It's what the enemy says to us when something happens to us. And says to us over and over again. Or the wound happens over and over again because of something that happens on the playground or at home. Or the rejection I faced from the girl I finally got the nerve to ask out. And what she said and then what the enemy said about my identity when she said what she said. Y'all, there is a, a myriad ways that the enemy tries to wound us. And, but on this issue, it's intimacy is what the wound is. It's, it's, it, the enemy tries to sexualize our identities or tries to, um, yeah, he just weaves lies into the midst of all of that. And it's, and it's, it's involving, like in other words, you can't just say, well, it was because I had this kind of mom or this kind of dad. It might have something to do with that. It might have something to do with something completely different. But it all centers around the intimacy, my being able to be known and safe and bonded to healthy people, in particular to people of the same sex. And um, so I could go on for a whole lot longer, but we're already out of time. So I'm going to pray for you. If this is um, a top, if, if you... Can we have like your ministry team come? Or, yeah, if you're on the ministry team, if you'll come on down. I, I realize that this is a really this is really heavy stuff I'm saying, and hopefully, hopefully there's been a lot of hope with it. But if the, if you have someone on your heart this morning, you know the the things I've shared have have brought someone to mind, or if this is an area of pain for you, you know, then we these people, you can trust them to, to pray for you, to encourage you. Again, you can go to changedmovement.com and request support from us. If it's like, I, I feel like I need to talk to someone that has this story, then one of my team that has this story will uh, chat with you. Um, but also, if it's like the Lord is just speaking to you this morning, and you're like, well, may, you know, I, my, my example is not sexual or it's not sexual identity, but I need more of Jesus, I, and I, I need less of me. Or I, I, I don't know Jesus in the way that Ken is talking about, but I want, to, I want that kind of a, a God in my life walking with me. Hey, there's no better day than right, right now, today, to meet Jesus. It's the best decision you will ever make. Jesus paid for what concerns you. He paid for your sickness, for your sin. And he wants, you, he wants you to be free. He wants you to be free. 
So, Father, I just ask you to, to just move in this room right now. Every heavy heart, Jesus, you care. You are the one who removes burdens, destroys yokes, Father. Your burden is easy and your yoke is light, Jesus. I pray every heavy heart today that you would move, that we would find deep freedom in who you are and what you've sacrificed, Jesus. Yeah. Yes, Lord. Yeah, so come on down if that's you. If the Lord's tugging on your heart, come on let's down. Let's stand up. Everybody, let's stand up. I think I can speak for everybody and say that was life-giving. It just brings so much hope, doesn't it? The power of the gospel, Jesus. Um, I'm going to pray us out and officially dismiss, but we're going to have some altar time. Um, I don't know. Ken, have you got a few minutes to say to maybe pray for people if they need prayer? And we're just, if you need prayer for anything, salvation, if this is an issue that you're struggling with personally, don't leave. I think there's an anointing here to, to receive ministry today and get freedom. And, and um, so don't leave. Take, take a moment just to hang out here and spend time with, in prayer. So, Lord, we just, we thank you for Ken's ministry, Lord. I thank you for the change movement. I thank you, Lord, that this exists, Lord. I know that as he said man there wasn't anything like this when he was going through it but Lord I thank you there is now Jesus I thank you you've used him you've used his pain to bring freedom and beauty for ashes so Lord we pray Father that this continue Lord that there would be uh, provision and we pray for more doors to open and we pray for more uh, an anointing Lord in this ministry Father Lord let us see Lord a harvest I just love what he was saying, that, that those who've struggled with this, they're now leading revivals. Lord, thank you for it, Lord. Do it more. Do it yes, more. Father. Do it more, I pray in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, Lord. And I pray for anybody in this place that's struggling with these issues, Lord. Let us, anything that's in the dark, Lord, let it come to light, Lord. Let us not be afraid to confess. Let us not be afraid to bring it into the light, Lord. I pray, Lord, that don't let the enemies hold be on you that you just keep it hidden but let it come to the light let it come out I pray for those who are moms and dads and grandpas and grandmas Lord and who've got people in their lives Lord teach them how to give them the wisdom how to talk and speak and bring life and healing and love Jesus show us your way show us how to minister your way Lord love you in Jesus name amen well we're going to open up these altars if you want to come and receive uh, prayer we've got uh, the night of worship tonight at 6 o'clock I hope you can be a part of that but uh, just don't leave without getting prayer God bless you guys